Good morning. We've gathered to worship God, and we begin with a, a reading, a focus for Advent. That's our call to worship, focused on the promise that Jesus gives us of joy. I'll read to you from John 16, beginning at verse 20. Jesus says this, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. The promise of the living God, joy. We light the candle this day in that great hope. Savior of the nations, come.
Thank you. The handbells and their coordination, their melody, their music, our encouragement and hope. We join with them, even as they've ministered to music, we join with them in the singing to the glory of Christ. We'll sing together, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Let us Amen, and be seated if you would please. Let me welcome you this morning, whether you're on site or online, we've gathered to worship the living God. A couple of quick things before Meredith speaks with us. First of all, at 10.15, I won't be doing my typical follow-up from the service. We do questions and answers. So call me during the week and we can do our question and answers. I'll meet you over lunch or coffee or something. We will have a brief fellowship time uh, to gather and reflect on that. A couple of quick slides that I'll let you know about. The first is this, this afternoon at 5.30, our Christmas uh, songs and scriptures. We'll sing Christmas carols, your best chance to do that, followed by just a real simple milk and cookies uh, to gather in that way. Christmas services, we've got three. Christmas Eve, we'll be here, led by the Fusion team. Christmas Day, we'll be here 
That's a Saturday led by the celebration team and the Sabbath after Christmas Day, that's the Sunday, will be here in the sanctuary led by the watershed, uh, watershed team. So good things going on. we thankful that you're a part of that. And I was reminded that on Christmas Day, we will have kind of a walk-up hallelujah chorus. So bring your music, warm up, just whatever it may be. So great things that God is doing in our midst. Meredith Steenweik, you represent a celebration on the council and have some words for us this day. I do. So I am going to read a financial update. The same message will go to all the communities uh, worshiping today. So here we go. Thank you for your ongoing support and investment in Hardaway Ministries. The final eight weeks of the year are financially interesting. It is during this time that we are able to most accurately project our remaining expenses and the amount that will be needed to finish the year in the black. The 2021 budget projected a weekly need of $29,901. In order to finish 2021 in the black, Hardwick Ministries would need an average offering of $45,852 a week as of November 12th, 2021. As of December 5th, 2021, the amount needed before January 1st, 2022 is $198,849 or $66,289 per week for the next three weeks. A lot of numbers, I know. We know this year has been difficult. It has been filled with twists and turns, up and downs, pandemic, pandemic concerns, and ongoing endemic challenges. We are all learning to depend more on God as we navigate life's challenges. Let us navigate this financial challenge as partners in ministry. As partners, let each of us prayerfully consider an additional financial gift to assist us in ending our ministry year well. Thank you for prayerfully considering an additional gift during these uncertain times. And I'll say on a, on a personal note, uh, we've often talked at council about how grateful we are for the giving Hardaway has had through 2021, 2020, and through the pandemic in general. Um, we've heard a lot of sad stories about churches really struggling. And, while I am up here giving a financial update and asking for more giving, we really haven't struggled the way we've heard of a lot of churches. Um, there are just so many wonderful God-focused things happening here at Heart of Wyke, um, and it feels like the trials of the pandemic and just everyday living really has rooted us more firmly in the gospel, and I'm, I'm really excited to be part of it. It's been fun, hasn't it? Now, uh, before you are seated, I can discern that you do more than just serve on our council. I do more than just serve on the council. Tell me about some of that. I also uh, serve on GEMS. I help do the administrative work of GEMS, so making sure we have leaders, making sure we have facilities, space, plans, uh, communicating with parents. So you don't have to have daughters in GEMS <laughs> to serve with them. Uh, unless I have a long-lost kid somewhere. No, uh, my four sons definitely do not attend GEMS. So those four boys are in the cadets, yep. but you can serve and you get to serve with a team like that. Now, here's another thing. You mentioned you do a lot of administrative stuff, so you don't have to do any particular Bible teaching, seminary training. I don't, I, yes. Um, I actually am not a fan of teaching. I have a lot of fun with GEMS. I, it's been a lot of fun to connect with the kids, but I don't truthfully like being in the classroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it's fun. I have a, a co-leader, Nicole Johnson, who does love being in the classroom and love teaching, but she does not like administrative work. Um, so it's, it's a very nice uh, teamwork 
teamwork situation we've got going. Cool. Thank you for that. It's um, been a great year to serve with you, Meredith. And I, again, I hope you can get this picture of how we move forward into the future. It's gifted people with different gifts serving together as teams. And you can find a place, and that will be key to God's work and growth in your life. Um, I will say, too, as pastor here responsible for celebration, I've ministered through a lot of different situations, never anything like the pandemic. And if anyone had ever, when this began, described where we would go, I would have been fearful. Gone to the Lord with that fear, but fearful. I am so thankful to navigate the pandemic with a council uh, like we have, with a staff like we have, amidst people like you. The gospel is going forward. I'll tell you more about that later. Um, we're seeing exciting things, and that's life together in the grace and glory of God. Very, very thankful for that. You know, the faith that we've given is not a cafeteria that I pick and choose from. It's the work of God that's handed over to us to be faithful to. And I love using the Heidelberg Catechism as a good, solid, broad statement of what the Scripture teaches us about the gospel. So let me begin with this question. It's got a kind of Advent theme to it. What does it mean that he, that is the Son of God, was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? That the eternal Son of God who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary a truly human nature, so that he might also become David's true descendant, like his brothers and sisters in every way except for sin."
Thank you for your ministry. Let's take just a moment, if we could, and we extend. <laughs> Praise to God and thanks to you. I'm always aware that for someone to minister in a moment like this, with something like music, there's a lot of preparation that goes on behind. And so I, we recognize that with appreciation. A couple of things before we turn to a time of prayer. Last Saturday, not yesterday, but the week before, the great room where Fusion Meets was filled with the Hope Christmas Store, a kind of ministry of Neighbors Plus. I went digging to find out the information. 226 kids received gifts as part of the ministry and extending Christmas for families uh, feeling hard-pressed by the economy, the pandemic, 226 kids. It took 20 volunteers at that time in the store itself, all the preparation that was a part of it even more. Those are the sorts of things that God is empowering Heart of White to extend into the community. I saw the same thing. It was a, a wonderful and a hard moment Friday as I stood here for the funeral of Jerry Plegamars, a sudden death in our midst. And yet, as we remembered the gospel and the encouragement for that, the family and friends and out-of-town folks gathered for a, a brief meal, and I saw a celebration people preparing and serving. You see, it's preparing, serving, caring that extends the gospel. Thankful to be a part of that. Thirdly, real quick, because we live stream, uh, I've become real discreet about the names that I mention and pray for. I rarely pray by name for our missionaries, much less they're, where they're serving in the service like this. That's not because I don't pray for them or because we don't remember them, but it's because so many of our missionaries serve in what they call now creative access countries, um, where it's best that they not be known as missionaries, but known as servants. And we know because of who Jesus is, those two things go together. So I'm even careful with residents. I'll usually only pray by first names. And there are times that people will ask me, you know, don't pray publicly for this need. And so I honor that. Just because you don't hear me praying for particular people or particular situations out loud in this moment doesn't mean I'm not praying for them. Is that fair? Let's turn to the Father and pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we give you thanks for your great love. And even as we look to the world and see its brokenness, we hear in that your cry for love. We hear for that a crying out for the Savior. And so even as you've reached us in Jesus, make us instruments of that wherever you'd place us. We pray for Heart Awake as we navigate these times for our ministries like Neighbors Plus, our student ministry, the various missionaries that go forth. Help us, Father, to bring the light of your love and your joy any place you would put us. We pray this day for our sister community, Watershed, and Pastor Aaron as he both preaches and leads the worship while Matt is out of town. We pray for Fusion and Pastor JB as he preaches and Sarah leads worship. For Missy Owen, the Hispanic congregation that will meet right here. We pray for Pastor Florencio and thank you for his love for Jesus that inspires us. You've called us to be a part of a family, uh, a worshiping community we call celebration. And so we remember the challenges and the needs of the life that 
of those that we share it with. We pray for Jean right across the street, for, for Beth and for Helene as she and family navigate this um, season of their life. For Shelley and family at the loss of Jerry. Father, I pray for those with COVID. And I remember too the snowbirds of celebration, Arizona, Texas, Florida, other places. Thank you that we can join together by video even as we're far away. We pray that the gospel would bear fruit in each life, both here and there. Father, your word instructs us to pray for those in authority over us, and so we pray each week for a regular cycle, this week for the federal uh, servants. We pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris by name. Guide them and use them. We pray for our Michigan senators, Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, and our area representatives, Bill Heisinger and Fred Upton and Peter Meyer for the Supreme Court as they look to make plain the meaning of our laws and um, constitution, guide them in truth. Father, we pray for this level of authority, even as we see in world affairs, real challenges. We pray for this situation with Russia and with China and Iran that seems so challenging. We thank you for those uh, from Hardawike who are uh, investing time to help Afghani refugees find a new home of safety. Father, we see domestic issues so pressuring, inflation, gun violence, organized retail theft. We can name these and more, but we bring them to you and thank you that in your grace, you have provided the deep root solution and you seek to bear fruit in our lives to bring hope and joy in broken situations. Help us to always point to Jesus as we serve and live in this broken world. Father, I thank you for Scotty Smith, who writes from Tennessee with a, a daily prayer blog that's helped shape my own focus in prayer. And so I use his words in closing focused on John 1.16, out of the fullness of Christ, we have all received grace upon grace. Lord Jesus, I woke up today feeling the weight, that burden of friends' hard stories, and the weight, the time of deep longings. I've never been more grateful for your promise and provision of grace upon grace. Many of us are still holding out for that last scene in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. We want resolution and redemption. A happy gathering and good ending would be wonderful indeed. But whatever this Christmas season proves to be, we know you always prove yourself to be a most wonderful and merciful Savior. We pray for friends facing their first Christmas, having committed a loved one to eternity. Grant special grace for those families still reeling with loss and grief. Hasten the day of eternal delight, nonstop dancing, and no more goodbyes. We yearn for that, Lord Jesus. We also pray with a view to different relational scenarios. Old wounds get triggered. Brokenness gets neon lighted. Messy relationships seem messier. Personal views declare war on each other. Loneliness feels its loneliest. No one understands these things better than you, Jesus. The world into which you were born was filled with madness and sadness. 
self-interest and me-first indulgence, power-grabbing and responsibility-shirking. You shy away from none of this stuff, Lord Jesus. You enter in that you might redeem us in it. Surprise us with your calming, healing, liberating presence. Sweeten the bitter waters of brokenness with the new wine of your kindness. Free each of us to offer to others the welcome and invitation, the forgiveness and the kindness that you have offered to us in Christ. And to offer that no matter what we may get in return. Father, bind us together as a people resting in your grace and praying with one heart, one voice, one mind, just as Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
there's something marvelously calming. I don't know what your holiday is like or this time, but isn't it marvelous to have the calming presence and good work of God? Again, thank you all. We're preaching through the genealogy of Jesus. It's an important thing to remember and to realize that Jesus was a real person with real flesh and blood. He had a family tree, and this is the genealogy of hope. So I'm going to read this morning. We've been reading from uh, Genesis, uh, Matthew 1, 1 through 17, and I'm hitting highlights from this. You'll see them mentioned on the screen. Uh, follow along as I read, as we look at the genealogy of Jesus. The genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and the, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Let's move to verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Salvation came in God's good and planned time. Let's pray. O Lord, our God and Father, we give you thanks for your great love for us, that in the midst of our brokenness, God the Son willingly, joyfully entered in and rescued us through his work on the cross. Thank you for the resurrection and for the Holy Spirit now given to inspire this tax collector, Matthew, to preserve what he wrote and to be with us as we read and listen. Fill us with great hope this day because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Illumine our hearts and minds, for we pray in his mighty name. Amen and amen. Well, in this genealogy of hope, there's something that sticks out. And I've tried to highlight that in exactly what we read. What sticks out is that there are people from the outside who are finding a way inside. There's a journey going on here. So I want to begin by looking at the text and seeing the outsiders. You know, folks who, well, what are they doing here? Well, how could they be in this story? How could they belong to this big thing? The first outsider in this genealogy is a fellow by the name of Matthew, Matthew himself. Now, he seems like the insider because he would become one of the 12 disciples. He would follow Jesus for years He would carefully commit to writing for a Jewish audience that which he'd seen and known and experienced. But Matthew began as an outsider. He was a traitor to his country. He was a tax collector. Israel lived under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Matthew was a Jewish man who worked for the oppressive Roman Empire collecting taxes. Picture yourself in the Netherlands in 1942 
and some government functionary enforcing the will of the Nazis. That's the closest I could think of to kind of capture the flavor of who Matthew is. That's outsider. That's a guy who doesn't turn his back on just anybody. But Jesus would say to him in Matthew 9, 9, follow me. And Matthew would stand up from his tax collector booth and his life would never be the same. A traitor moving from outside to inside. The next fascinating person for us to see is Rahab, and her story is in Joshua 2. We know her to be a Canaanite, which is a different ethnicity, but also her work as a prostitute, a madame perhaps. Hebrews 11 verse 31 says this of her, "By, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, that's the story from Joshua, was not killed with those who were disobedient. She was on the outside, but she saw something in the promises and work of God, gave her life to that, and finds herself on the inside, one of those who are in the family tree of Jesus. Another outsider is Ruth. She was a Moabite by ethnicity, but she'd married into a Jewish family, and even as left as a widow, she then says, your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. Think about where she was as a Moabite. The story early in Genesis 19 is of Lot, the nephew of Abraham, the man of promise. Following the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, this nephew, has a drunken and incestuous encounter with his own daughter, and out of that is conceived Moab. Out of Moab, the man grew a nation that would worship a god named Chemosh rather than Yahweh. That's what it meant to be a Moab, a Moabite, an idolater, have that in your family tree. But Ruth, an outsider, was brought inside. The next character to highlight is Bathsheba. Now, we probably know the outline of her story. You'll see it in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And it begins when David sees something that's not his that he wants, and he uses the power of kingship to get it. He sees Bathsheba bathing. He calls her over. He impregnates her. It's hard to tell whether that's actually forced as a rape or maybe she's a co-conspirator. Maybe she's a willing adulteress. We don't have a lot of background, but from that story and from the ethnicity as a Hittite, she'd married into that family. From far away, she's brought into the inner circle and becomes part of the family of Jesus. Her story of sin and brokenness becomes part of the background that Jesus enters into. Now, next week, I want to look at the other female who's in this genealogy, but I simply want to highlight how unusual it would be in that time to include the women in your genealogy, much less such problematic women. There were Jewish heroes of the faith that were women, but these are women who are Gentiles on the outside and brought in. We have so much more we could talk about. I I don't believe that patriarchy was God's intention any more than I see death or um, cancer or corrupt government as God's intention. Part of what Jesus died to give his life for was to set us free to servanthood.
In Christ there is no Jew nor Greek, no Jew nor Gentile, no male nor female. Paul will write to the church in Ephesus and he'll say, submit mutually to one another. In a moment he'll say to women, submit to your husbands. But to husbands, Paul writes, die for the sake of your wife. Give your life for her as Christ gave his life for the church. Husbands, we are called to see our wives flourish. Leadership is not about power to force someone's will. It's about servanthood and the washing of feet. In this moment, I would call every husband to lay down your life and to give to her the remote control. Die to that football game and rise to the Hallmark Channel. It's a lighthearted illustration of an important biblical truth that leadership means servanthood. Jesus embodied it. And as the gospel begins to permeate, it, it makes the world a different place. We'll look at Tamar next week. But now I want to touch the ultimate outsider, I like to call him, perhaps the original. That's Abraham. Now, Abraham, in a sense, is where the whole promise of the gospel picks up flesh and blood on planet earth because God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, and he reiterates that promise in Genesis 15. And in this genealogy by Matthew, this is where Matthew starts. It starts with Abraham. The Lord said to Abram in chapter 12, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God made a promise to Abram of a family, and he made a promise that through him, through that family, every nation would be blessed. We see in Jesus the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abram. Genesis 15, again, as this covenant is reiterated, verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham was special not because of what he did, but because he rested in the promise that God gave him. Paul would pick that moment up in Romans 4 and three specific times in that chapter mention Abraham, the man of faith, not because of what he did, not because of the law, not because of circumcision, but because he believed God and that became his righteousness before God. Friends, I want to tell you, the gospel is about outsiders finding a way inside. It means the dividing wall is torn down, and those who are far away now have a way inside and close. That's the good news. You see, here's a biblical truth, friends. We were all outsiders once. I've said it before, and so I'll touch it quickly. When we look at the message of the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, by chapter 3, we understand several things. The first is that, is that every human is an image bearer of God. 
I don't care how broken or decrepit a person that you may encounter is, they are an image bearer. I don't care how distant, how much an enemy. Who is it that you most resent? That human is an image bearer. Frustrated with the Taliban? Image bearers. Frustrated with the other party? Image bearers. Frustrated with that in-law? Image bearer. Every human you will ever meet. I remember when God first pressed that deep into my heart. We were ministering in the inner city of New Orleans and two houses down was what they called a, a shooting gallery. It was an abandoned house where addicts gathered to shoot up their drugs. And I saw humans in the worst condition I'd ever known or seen. And my mentor kept saying, Jesus died for those people. They're image bearers. They're image bearers. And so you'll never meet anyone who's not of tremendous value because God's image is born in them. But the second thing we know as we read the book and begin to understand the world in light of it is that every image bearer is broken. Now, friends, that doesn't just include them. It includes, I'm going to use the word you. That includes me. It's us. The first two things I can say about any person I'll ever meet, valuable image bearer of God, and the second thing is broken. That's how we end up on the outside. That's how God has made promises, but we are on the outside until Jesus Christ at the cross opened the way. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call them the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Every outsider, because of the blood of Christ, is invited inside. That's how we got from outsiders ourselves to insiders by the grace of God. You see, people become insiders, not through obedience, not through performance, not through culture, not through theology, but through adoption. God extends his grace. We respond in faith. Jesus himself is the way in. How did Abraham and David, how did Rahab and Bathsheba, how did they find their way from outsider to insider? By the promise of God and it was credited to them as righteousness. Jesus himself is the way in. It's his grace and it's our faith that moves each one of us from outsider to insider. That's the good news. This is what God is doing from beginning to end. He's rescuing those outside and inviting them in. He's commissioned us as his people to love and to know the outsider and to invite them in, to welcome them, to affirm that they are image bearers, deeply loved and respected, but also to invite, to recognize the brokenness and to extend 
the gospel of God's grace, extend the offer of adoption by faith, inviting people to respond to God's grace in Jesus. The genealogy of hope reminds each of us that this is how God has worked always and from the beginning. Sadly, that's not always been the case for the people of God, whether Israel or the church. It becomes so easy to think that the status as an insider is inherited or earned and ours to protect. Though themselves outsiders who were once invited to the inside, God's people are often quick to forget that and to build walls to prevent the outsiders from coming in and to keep insiders from moving out, or so they thought. We see that with painful clarity among the Jewish people at the time of Jesus' life and death. Do you remember how rigid the Pharisees were to separate themselves from the Gentiles and from sin, to order their day by expositions of the law so that what they were doing would keep them right with God? Friends, they had lost the message that started in Genesis and would go to Revelation. In light of all this, remembering that God's people are called to welcome and to invite, ask ourselves some hard questions. What is more important for the church, that insiders feel comfortable on the inside or that outsiders feel welcome and safe? Now, I'm hoping you can feel welcome and comfortable. I know the Holy Spirit wants to make us the sort of people in which outsiders feel welcome and safe. When it comes to one or the other, where do you go? What's more important, your comfort or their welcome? What is at stake when a church is no longer willing to welcome? When people prefer their own comfort and identity and relationships? I'll tell you what I think is at stake, a quenching of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given by Jesus to empower his people, to make the invitation clear. Hide that invitation and the Spirit will move on. That's quenching the Holy Spirit. What's at stake when the church is no longer willing to invite people to respond to the grace of Jesus? That's the quenching of the Holy Spirit. Whether we make them unwelcome or we never give them the invitation of grace. To turn from that is to say, God, it's your mission. I'm more committed to my comfort. It's possible to be so anxious to be accepted by those we're trying to welcome that we forget why we even exist, and that's that we might make known to all the invitation in to know and to love Jesus Christ. I want to close this morning of a, what is a great, for me, contemporary example of what it means to have a, a grace-gifted body of Christ that would welcome the outsider and see God, through the work of Jesus, make them an insider. Have you ever heard the story of Rosaria Butterfield? Fascinating woman. Fascinating woman. I'm just going to close by kind of telling her story. I'll give you some resources uh, where to find more. You'll find some of these on the Heart of White Sermon resources as well as she's got her own website. Rosaria grew up in Chicago and was educated in private Catholic schools. She was sharp. She went on to earn a PhD in English literature from 
a, a small school in Columbus, Ohio. Dare we mention, she got a PhD in English literature from the university, from Ohio State University. By 1990, she began to live as a lesbian, including as a partnered relationship. 1992, she was appointed as professor of English and head of the Women's Studies program at Syracuse. By 1999, she had achieved tenure, and the academic focus of her study was what she called feminist theory and queer theory. But by 1999, when she was tenured, something had begun to happen. You see, in June of 1996, the Promise Keepers Conference came to town at the Syracuse University uh, Stadium where she was teaching. Given her uh, convictions at the time, she wrote a blistering review in the local paper. And because of that blistering review, she began to receive all sorts of equally strong responses. She tells the story of putting a box on either side of her desk, and as she got these emails and these letters, some she'd put in the negative, some she'd put in the positive. Some she'd put here, some she'd put there. These people want me dead, these people want me to live forever. But there was one she wasn't quite sure where she should put it. It was from a, a guy named Ken Smith. He was the pastor at the Reformed Presbyterian Church in town. And she wasn't sure which box it should go in. He engaged her, but differently. He invited her to his house for dinner. I'm going to start reading here from Rosaria's words herself. This is in the uh, blog post that we have linked from the sermon resources. These are her words. With that letter, Ken initiated two years of bringing the church to me, a heathen. Oh, I had seen my share of Bible verses on placards at gay pride marches that Christians who mocked me on gay pride day were happy that I and everyone I loved were going to hell. That was clear as the blue sky. But that is not what Ken did. He did not mock. He engaged. So when his letter invited me to get together for dinner, I accepted. My motives at the time were straightforward. She was working on a book about the dangers of promise keepers. My motives at the time were straightforward. Surely this would be good for my research. Something else happened, though. Ken and his wife, Floyd, and I, we became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank slate, as if I'd never had any thoughts or ideas or experiences. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way I had never heard before. He thanked God for all things. He was vulnerable. His prayers were intimate. He repented of his sin in front of me. Ken's God was holy and firm, surely, yet full of mercy. And because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe to be friends with them. I started reading the Bible. I read the way a glutton devours. This is an English professor 
reading the Bible. I read it many times that first year in multiple translations. At a dinner gathering, my partner and I were hosting. My transgendered friend, we'll call them Jay, cornered me in the kitchen. She put her large hand over mine. This Bible reading is changing you, Rosaria, she warned. There's more of this journey the article in the blog site, I'll, you can find it in her book, uh, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, An English Professor's Journey into Christian Faith. But I'll jump to the end. I've given you a good sense of point A. Let me tell you about point B. Today, Rosaria lives with her husband, Kent, in Durham, North Carolina, not far from the campus of Duke University. She continues to write and speak her most recent book, again, powerful book. I, I, I appreciate all she does. The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Practicing radically ordinary hospitality in our post-Christian world. She is also, by the way, a busy homeschool mother of four children. And we don't have saints in the Protestant church, but she is a Presbyterian minister's wife. From point A to point B is a story. I've watched and read and listened to her for years now. She's helped me navigate some of my own thoughts and questions. But at the core of this is a church that welcomed and invited. Welcomed people who the world or the church may see on the outside, but invited them not to a new behavior, but to a new savior. It's an extraordinary story. And it's the adventure that God has called us to. There is no outsider that Jesus didn't die to invite. His genealogy tells us that. And whether that's news for you or whether that's news for a family member or someone you could never imagine would be interested, that is what the Holy Spirit has called us to. Let me pray for you. Our Father in heaven, as we get to see Jesus in his genealogy, we are floored by the brokenness there, the, the, the dysfunction, the, the sin. And yet we remember, there too are we, outsiders to what you created and called us to be. And it's because of that that Jesus went to the cross, gave his life, and offered it to us not a new way of behaving, but a new family were adopted into your good kingdom. Father, I pray that you would remind us that you welcomed us and invited us and that you would make us a body who welcomes well and invites clearly. I pray, Father, for anyone who's heard this message this morning and sees in a new way, I encourage you just in the silent sanctuary of your own heart to say thank you, Jesus, for the cross, for the invitation to adoption as your deeply loved, fully adopted child. By faith, I respond to your grace. This can be the moment. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. We ask you to continue to work in and through us in ways that are beyond us. Fill us with great joy this day. For we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people sit together. Amen and amen.
how great our joy. Let's stand and sing the truth. Receive the benediction of our God. This is written by the Apostle Paul for his church in Ephesus that he planted. Receive now that same blessing. Now, to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen? And amen. Amen.